Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood, this is Margaret. And today I am talking to Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. She is a clinical psychologist, relationship expert, and voice behind at Dr. Tracy D and author of I Didn't Sign Up For This, a couple's therapist shares real life stories of breaking patterns and finding joy in relationships, including her own. Welcome, Dr. Tracy. Hi, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with the title of the book, which I love. I didn't sign up for this. And this is something that clients are coming into your office and saying to you, what made you choose this as the title for your book? Mm, Such a great question. I found myself sitting in front of couples, women, mothers, also fathers, men, all saying the very same thing. I didn't sign up for this. And I kept seeing the same thing happen over and over again inside my therapy room, which is people struggling with their connection in their relationship, people struggling to feel as if the relationship is the one that they signed up for, it no longer feeling good, they're not connected, they somehow traveled down a path that isn't where they thought they would go. And then I found myself saying the same thing as my clients after having my second child and feeling the depths of resentment in my own marriage. And so when it came time to title the book, I couldn't think of anything better than to title it as something that is so commonly said, expressed, and deeply felt in our relationships. And it's so, we've talked to Dr. Lynetta Willis on the podcast, and she has a term that we return to maybe once a week, which is stable misery. Mm. And it's a similar, it reminded me a lot. I kept thinking of that phrase when reading this book, because I think it does get at this idea that like we're dating and it's like, well, he's handsome. He's a great dancer. Oh my gosh, we both love sushi. Hooray. And then suddenly you get married and it's like, wait, we're mountain climbing partners. I never found out whether you have the tools I need or you have, you know, suddenly the job is so different. Like I can't think of another job where like dating is pretty much a terrible test for what a person is going to be like in marriage. It just doesn't resemble it at all. No. And because oftentimes when we're dating, we're putting our best self forward. Mm -hmm. We're using some key things that we need in a relationship that we need to actually continue forward. Things like curiosity, 
things like compassion and wanting to be on the same team and giving the other person the benefit of the doubt if they're five minutes late to pick you up. But then over time, this starts to show up in such a different way for us that for many people, they are these experiences within ourselves that we haven't worked through. And then they show up and they're projected out onto our partners. That's something that's very foundational in the book. And I've talked before, uh, I come from a Catholic tradition, and we did pre-Cana before marriage. And I totally went into it kind of rolling my eyes and like, oh, this is stupid and old fashioned and dumb. And what do these people know about Mara? And I found it to be the most useful exercise. And I have become a proselytizer on the podcast that people should do some sort of premarital counseling or whatever their, if their faith tradition has a good version of it, because all of a sudden, my cute boyfriend and I, who like sushi together, are having conversations of who do you expect to earn money in the marriage? And how do you expect our holidays to look like? And I think when you're having dating conversations, it's like, oh, our holidays will look like snow gently falling outside of a Courier and Ives cabin while we cuddle by the fire. It's like, no, no, no. Your mom and my mom are both going to be fighting with us because they want us to spend more time. And so talk a little bit about this family of origin and how it informs us in relationships in ways that we are really not totally ready for. Mm, that's such a good place to go into this. What, what comes to mind is actually a conversation I had with a girlfriend who's reading the book. And one of the questions that the book poses is, who did you see be a good person in the family? Or what kind of unspoken agreements did your parents have? And what did your parents do if they were upset? So we as children are taking in all of these messages, whether spoken or not. And they tell us who we are as a person. They tell us what it means about our own sense of worth, what it means to be good. Kids want to be good. They want to be seen as good. And then we also learn what it means to be loved and to be in a relationship with others. So the sense of connecting with our parents, are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? Can we go to them when we're upset? And so all of these moments that we often don't even have memories of, they become these narratives or pathways in our brain that we take automatically. And we take them in a way that says that they, they're familiar, but familiar doesn't necessarily mean good. Right. So if you are someone that gets critical in your relationship, which I always like to humanize myself, that's me. I'm good at tapping into the, you know, my husband's not even around and I can blame him for why I can't get my toddler's bike into the trunk and I'm going to be late. And I'm thinking, you know, ah, Greg, it's all your fault. My husband. Somehow you did this to me. Somehow you did this to me, right? But then I encourage people that I work with, I do this in the book, is ask yourself, who did you see get critical in your family? What did people do with anger to each other, to you? And then also, what did you learn about doing that as a child? So it's quite normal for a child to blame and to get frustrated and to point outwards because children are egocentric. They don't develop that. We help them develop that skill as their brain grows and changes into adulthood. But who allowed you to do that? And did anyone help you develop the other skills of seeing what it means to be a self and what it means to be the other person? I think it's super interesting how 
you talk about, and I think you capture really well, you don't know these patterns necessarily. And we talk a lot about on the podcast because we talk a lot about children breaking cycles and breaking patterns and how hard that work really is. And we think, well, I'm not gonna do it like my mom did, but then suddenly I'm like, because I said so. And you're like, where did that, <laughs> what part of my body did that just come out of? And in relationships, we're playing out a lot of these same dynamics. And again, like you meet a guy at the bar and you're like, he's cute, he's a good dancer, he's tall, but somehow he's also representing some unmet needs and you're playing out old things. Like, how does that work? It's so fascinating. It's so fast and tricky too. So tricky. And how do you begin to have that conversation? Is it a conversation that involves your partner? Maybe it depends. It depends on who your partner is. I say it depends because sometimes our partners are not there at that level with us and that many people enter into this work on their own first. Just because your partner isn't there right now doesn't mean they'll never be ready to do that kind of work or conversation with you, but they might not be there just yet. So it does start with the self, which is tricky, right? Because most couples show up into my office pointing the finger at the other person saying they need to change if they were different. I know so many people who went to couples therapy to be like, I need someone else to tell my husband what an idiot he is. And then they leave the first few sessions thinking, we're not doing what we thought what I wanted to be doing. Now we're talking about me. And right. no, I thought this was all, wait a minute, let's fix him so my life can be easier. Right. And this work really starts with ourselves. And that's uncomfortable. It's really hard to go inwards and to ask ourselves, how do I contribute to what is happening between us right now? Yeah. And I think that book really gets at that by telling these stories, because it's true that we very rarely see a problem as a problem that we are creating. We see it very much as like, if he would stop leaving his socks next to the laundry bin, we would be happy. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And we're going to dive into some of the stories from the book that illustrate this. I am talking to Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, and she is the author of I Didn't Sign Up For This. We will be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? Say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. We are back with Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, and let's talk about the most common problems that walk into your office. Your book is set up through a series of stories that are couples that you've actually seen and working through those problems and sort of illustrating bigger issues through those stories. If you, someone said to you, what is the most common issue that walks through your door? What would that be? The most common struggle is, so this is the surface level. This is the identifying piece. All couples, when I ask them, what do you want to be different? What do you hope to work on? They all say we want to communicate better and we want to feel more connected, which is great. That is a great goal. It's also a really big goal because then what's layered inside of that is often the problems, the common problems. We know that from the research, the common struggles couples face are around kids, sex, finances, extended families, in-laws, or your own parents. And then the mental load and how the household labor, the child care, the emotional, relational labor is distributed. Those are the common, I call them upstairs issues or the tip of the iceberg. But then what I see happening in front of me are two partners who don't know how to share their core feelings and needs and to get on the same page to meet those feelings and needs. And so what happens over time is couples end up getting into repeating cycles of negative affect and not being able to meet what it is like those unmet needs of, I need you to tell me I'm important. I need to know I matter to you. I need to know that I'm important, that I'm enough for you, that I'm worthy. You think of me, those are our core attachment longings and needs that we all have in our relationship. So yes, while we do need to problem solve who's making the lunches and who is going to bring the kids to daycare or to drop off and sports activities or how we're going to navigate sex and family holidays as that's coming up as well. But underneath that, it's the, do you truly see me and understand what this is like for me? That's right. I mean, everybody has had the fight of you just keep walking in and leaving your, you know, socks. And then I'm now having it with my teens. You just drop the dish off. And it's, for me, it goes to the thing of like, I'm more than a mom. I'm more than the maid of the house. I want to be respected. And then when you drop the socks, you are setting off the volcano of like, I am never appreciated. I am more than just a maid. I work hard. And even though I, and you're tapping into these huge issues. Let's talk a little bit more because I made a note about it. I thought it was a really interesting idea of the negative cycle Mm -hmm. and how 
is the problem that we're not getting our needs met and therefore like the socks are just always becoming this volcanic issue? Is that what the negative cycle looks like? Yeah, the way I understand it is when couples are feeling close, connected and secure, they can do a lot of differentiation. They can do a lot of self other work. Differentiation meaning that I can identify that I am a separate self than you. I can see that I have my own experience internally and you have your own experience internally. And I can be curious, open and accepting of both of those. When we're secure and connected, so I'm putting my, for people who are listening, I'm putting my hands together, like I'm weaving at the basket, right? I'm interlocking them. That this is a moment where you see the socks on the floor and you think, ah, oh, that's right, because he had a meeting this morning. And so he, you know, of course he wasn't thinking about the sock conversation we had a few weeks ago. And I'm going to pick them up, put them in the hamper. And, you know, maybe it's something that I can just let go of right now. Okay, quick question. Does anyone ever reach that point where they actually <laughs> look at the socks and they're like, oh, I totally understand why the socks are there? Have you seen a person that self actualized? I need to know. Yes, yes, it gets there. <gasps> But do we stay there all the time? No, because we're humans and we change and we vacillate and we ebb and flow, right? So yes, even when I think of my own sock experience, I have the black sock story. I know the socks right at the end of the bed. Sure, we all do. And the hamper is 10 steps over or sometimes even right beside it. And, and it is the, <laughs> the ebbing and flowing when we feel good. When we are having our own needs met, when we're connected, when we've had regular date nights and we're not sleep deprived, I can look at the socks and think, right, I know you were so busy today. I'm just going to pick these up, put them over. It's no big deal. Yeah. Or maybe you can look at the socks. Like I know with my husband and I, sometimes I see the socks and I'm like, pick up your socks, you slob, you fool. You know, it's joking. It's fun. But you both take it as jokes. Yes, exactly. Like we're, we're, it's kind of light and funny. And he's like, oh, all right. Well, maybe the next time, you, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun with it as opposed to like, I see the socks and I go down the rabbit hole of like, no one respects me. And I'm deep, deep in the bad place. And, and that rabbit hole, that that bad place there, that also like the contempt or the criticism, the deep resentment that shows up, that underneath need there didn't start with your partner. I think that's also something really important for us to acknowledge. So I know for myself, I have a deep bucket of validation. I love having that sense of validation coming to me, of telling me I'm okay, I'm good. I know that didn't start with my husband. I also need to accept that it's not his job to meet all of that for me. I have to do some of that work myself. And that's really hard because we turn... That seems harder than yelling at your husband about the socks, though. <laughs> right. It seems like such a better shortcut to just scream at him. That's the discharging of discomfort and blame, Margaret, right? So we don't want to sit with that painful experience within ourselves that says... Am I actually truly good enough? Am I okay just as I am? That's too painful. So instead we go outwards and we say, well, if you just picked up your socks and we wouldn't have this issue all the time, we would be okay. Right. Right. And I honestly think, I mean, I'm married, I don't know how long, 15 years or something now, but it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't actually realistic. Like it actually took me so long to realize that my husband wasn't, first of all, trying to make me unhappy, and then actually wasn't making me unhappy. Like I had other things going on. I think that we kind of have an image of marriage that's like a door. And on the other side of the door is a happy marriage. And then that 
everything your husband does that fails that is kind of like breaking the happy marriage. I can't believe how long it took me to sort of make that separation that you're talking about that like, oh, we're just two goofballs who live together. We're not actually a new entity at all. Right. And neither one of you are intentionally trying to make the other person miserable. For most relationships, we can say that. And here's the other piece. Again, that's that differentiation. I can look at my husband and I can look at those socks and say, you know, I get this about you. You tend to be an autopilot more than I do. I use the analogy with us where I tend to drive in fourth gear and he drives in second. He's cruising the city. I am on the highway. I am 10 steps ahead of everything that we need to do. So the socks on the floor, I already know where they should be because I know when the next little laundry is going to happen. I know where the kids have to be, right? It's just, that's how I function. We're different. But I can look at him and say, those socks on the floor are not out to get me. He is not intentionally trying to come at me. But this comes back to, and I think for listeners to understand this, that you and your partner had to have to have a set of agreements in your relationship around what it means to respect each other around what it means to see when something is a symbol for your partner and what needs to be different. How do we keep respect in our relationship? So if I'm coming to the kitchen and every time you are leaving plates on the table, that leads the load on me. Are we a team then? Or am I the CEO of the kitchen? And what does it look like to respect each other and to mutually live in this space together, to coexist? You have to find the agreements together. That makes a lot of sense because the agreement is somewhere between you just need to pick up your socks and you just need to lighten up about the socks. Like that's kind of where we get stuck, right? Where you need to be less uptight about this is the man's story. If we're being heteronormative is one partner's story. Heteronormative. You, you need, don't be a nag. You're such a nag. Right. And I remember having a conversation with my husband where I said, okay, either I do it or I nag. Those seem to be my only two options. Like, I don't want to ask you four times to do it. I'm not your mom. I, I, I don't want to run the house that way. And I don't want our relationship to be like that. But what's my other option if you don't do it to just ignore it and be mad? And I think that finding that next conversation that's out there somewhere that's not just lighten up or just do what it the way my way, that's where we kind of get stuck. And this is where we need to come back into some of the communication tools that many of us have, but we maybe forget how to tap into them or we're too busy and stressed to tap into it. The research is clear on how much time parents have together. They're spending 30 minutes a week talking. <laughs> That's wild. With parents of young children. And those parents spend most of the time in transactional conversation. Where are the splash pants? Right. You take this guy, I'll go this. You get this cleats, I'll do yeah. This is what we call angry coworkers at the daycare. That's the mode that we call it. Mm, yes, it's such a good mode. Like one you don't want to be in, but such a good way to describe it. That it's the feeling, it's the vibe. Let's talk, let's take a break and we're gonna break down some of these communication modes and these things that you talk about chapter by chapter in the book. I am talking to Dr. Tracy Dalglish and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It 
adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So you use in each chapter stories to illustrate some problems and conflicts and also solutions that people can kind of hear a story which is really helpful because you're like, oh, yeah, I've had that conversation. Oh, yeah, I've been that person. So let's talk about some of the issues that come up. And one of them, which is very familiar to me, both as a wife and a mom, is dysregulation. Talk a little bit about that term, what it means, and how you see it come up in your practice. Uh -huh. When we approach a conversation, we want to be hopefully, in a state of calm, connectivity, and compassion. 
If we are approaching a conversation and we're feeling angry and frustrated, overwhelmed, or we're even overstimulated after the kids have touched us all day long and we've been on call with the kids' needs, it's a really hard place to start a conversation. When we are dysregulated, it is harder to communicate what we need. It's harder to help the other person see what's happening for us. Our bodies are basically in a state of fight or flight, or we are shut down. And from that place, it's really hard to do anything. So it's important then for us to find ways to come back into regulation. And what we talk about is to find our window of tolerance, which means that this is a place of being regulated and you go up and down and within that window of tolerance and you want to stay there in your conversation. But when you start, and this is what happens in relationships is we start going back and forth. One partner ups the ante, the other gets defensive. The other one calls out the other thing that happens. The other one gets more defensive and away you go. Pull them from the bottom of the suitcase. Yes. Right. And so at that point then, and I love Margaret that you use that analogy because I believe we show up in our relationships with a suitcase. Right. And we have a lot of unresolved stuff in that (laughs) suitcase. And have you been willing to look through the suitcase and make sense of all of that? Because oftentimes we look at our partner and we act in ways where it's as if the other people who have hurt us or let us down or rejected us are standing behind them rather than truly seeing this is my partner. There are good intentions. We can work through this together. So when we're dysregulated, we want to then pause the conversation. You can't have a connected, moving forward, problem-solving resolution type conversation if you are in that state of fight or flight or shutdown. And the ways we can do that are sometimes we do that through co-regulation, which can be, okay, in this moment, Actually, I think I described this in in one of the stories of Emily and Matt in the book, but also too, you can do this at home is when you notice one of you getting dysregulated, ask for a hug, ask your partner to give you a really tight squeeze that helps to soothe your nervous system or hold hands. You can sit on the couch and hold hands and squeeze. Couples do not like when I get them to do this in my office, but I get them to put their foreheads together and to look at each other and just to focus on regulating their breath together. That's a way of co-regulating and to not think about the fight still in their mind. Or we go into self-regulation, which looks like ask for a pause or not ask rather, but say, I'm going to take a break. I need to take a pause. I'm going to go splash cold water on my face. Maybe I'll go for a 15 minute walk. Maybe I'll put on some music and get some movement in something to soothe our bodies to get back into our window of tolerance and into that state of calm and connection. I, of all the things I feel like I've learned over the years doing this podcast and talking to people. I use this word dysregulation a lot. And sometimes we just call it shot out of a cannon. But I say it all the time to my spouse and my kids. I am really dysregulated right now, or I am really shot out of a cannon, or you are really shot out of a cannon. Let's pause and pick up this conversation tomorrow. When And listen, there's some real issues here. You really messed up. You forgot the birthday part. You, what I'm really mad about the way that you threw me under the bus on this holiday and, you know, screwed up all the plans. But we're not going to have a productive conversation about it tonight. And so I feel like this is a really good and there's good examples of it in the book. I'm going to just admit, I don't think I can do the co-regulation thing. I just feel it's too awkward for me. And it's not, it's just not my 
vibe if you can do it great if you and I think sometimes with a kid sometimes it's helpful to sit in a hug and say with my partner I just I don't know I feel like I would just get madder but I love this idea of dysregulation and identifying it and saying like sometimes we've heard it called red brain like there's just a place from which you cannot solve a problem and let me tell you 15 years in if you're two years married you can stay up until four o'clock in the morning and shout at each other you can definitely do it you're gonna do it i'm not gonna try to stop you but if you can identify dysregulation it's gonna get you a lot more sleep which you really are gonna appreciate and to find that space of saying to you to turning towards your partner and saying we haven't resolved this i know we'll resolve this when we're both in a better state we're in this together it's us. This is a we. And I know this is really hard for us to wrap it up, but can we have a hug? Could we do something as a way to say goodnight and we'll come back to it at another time? And that is so much more powerful than staying up till 4am and fighting from that state of being overwhelmed and dysregulated. Nothing gets solved at 4am in that state. Nothing good comes at 4am. And you make a really good point again and again in the book about this feeling of safety, abandonment, all of these things that are in the suitcase, that if you don't feel secure in your own safety within your relationship, because of maybe your childhood experiences or whatever's going on in your relationship, that it is really, it's more difficult to have the conversation because there's a certain amount of trust that's involved in saying to someone, we're not going to resolve this, but we can resolve it on Friday. That involves a kind of safety that some people don't feel they're operating from. And and where do you start with that? Is that just the work of going internally for people who don't feel that ability to do that because they don't feel that inherent sense of safety in their relationship? Mm, that is a challenging one because you have to start practicing it. And so is that through having a picture of your partner as a child to be able to remind you that you're both working in your child parts when you get to that place? Is it a picture of you as a child and putting your hand on your heart and saying, you are an adult now, you are not back there, you are safe, you are here today, you can make choices here, you're okay, right? So are we doing this within ourselves? Can we tap back to a sticky note that reminds you that we're in this together, right? So these are other ways to come back to getting your brain out of red zone or out of flipped your lid. That's what Dr. Dan Siegel uses, flipping your lid. How do we then come back here? And it's the practicing over and over again. It might not come easy the first time, but keep trying because this is a new skill for you. And another time, maybe even asking yourself, how did people deal with conflict growing up? Getting really curious about your history. How did my caregivers uh, help me or not help me with my feelings? Did they give me space? Did they threaten to take away their love from me? Or did they take away experiences when I made a mistake or something was happening? And we can look back at those old experiences to try to understand what's happening. But ultimately, we have to be able to sit with our younger parts and heal those parts ourselves. Yeah. Oh, you feel the goosebumps talking about that. It's deep. It's deep work. I don't want to go before we talk a little bit about what I think, I don't know if you see if you agree with this, that like resentment to me feels like the biggest problem in relationships. When I talk to people, it's that certain tone and we've all done it and felt it. It's that feeling of like, 
Ugh, these people were all put on earth to make my life more difficult. And the, somehow my spouse is the captain of the squad. What are the things that lead towards resentment? It's obviously a huge question. But like, is that true? Do you see that resentment is kind of like the end of the road for a lot of problems in marriages? Only if you stay in it and hang out in it for a long time. The emotion of resentment is normal and common. It is not a bad emotion. But if we ignore it, just like anger if, or shame, if we ignore all these emotions and shove it down and we stay in that space of seething, frustration, and contempt, right? If it comes out in the behaviors of contempt and criticism, defensiveness, shutting our partners out, then that is the toxicity of that emotion, right? Ah, that makes a lot of sense. I haven't really thought of it that mm. way before. Because I was like, oh, resentment is so bad. That's it. It's the cancer that starts growing. But not necessarily. It's that everybody feels those feelings, but you just don't marinate in them. Right. So if you notice resentment, ask yourself, what is this signaling to me? And oftentimes for people who are experiencing resentment, one of two things are happening. One, they are not getting their needs met because they are not expressing it. Or two, they're expressing it, but they're still not getting their needs met. And that's complicated. Mm. And the other thing too with resentment that is so worth exploring is asking yourself, what is underneath this for me? And for a lot of people, there's envy, there's fear, there's shame, there's guilt, all kinds of other emotions underneath there, that then we can ask ourselves, what do I need from this space? So good. This book is called, I didn't sign up for this. A couple's therapist shares real life stories of breaking patterns and finding joy in relationships, including her own. This book is super useful, but also very, very readable. I mean, it's very, because of the stories, you'll tear right through it and then tons of good takeaways. Tracy, tell us and our audience where they can find you and find more about your work. Thank you, Margaret. One of the best things for listeners is come say hello to me where I hang out. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Tracy D. I always love hearing what stood out for you from our conversation today. And then of course, there are so many resources available on my website, drtracyd.com. And if you're looking for more, join me on my own podcast, which is called I'm Not Your Shrink. Awesome. We will link to all of those places. Tracy, thanks so much for talking today. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Margaret. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.